halfway on. Oh, he's good. He's good. Griffin, sound man in training. Dan will be proud. Dan's going to come back from his break and be like, dude, trained up a bunch of kids. They've taken over. They're everywhere. Danny and I both love that. We love seeing young people in leadership and in ministry, and it's actually something he and I have talked about. I think it's part of our, his, and my callings to be in places to help others step into ministry. Um, it's, it's really nothing we've tried to do, but it's something we love so much and something that God's done by bringing us people. I just think back to pastoring early on, people like Nick Inglis or Josh Clancy or Devin or Michaela. Who? Mickey Myla, right? These other people that God just brought into our lives that were looking to get into ministry and somehow we're flexible enough and small enough and brave enough that they just say, hey, try stuff. <laughs> Always been kind of experimental that way and that's given opportunities for people to grow into things, you know? It won't be long before Eloise is just up there leading the music team or playing on her own because she's just in that way and doesn't seem hard or strange to her. And um, that's a gift in and of itself that we have a place that, I grew up that way. I'm one of those people <laughs> that grew up and was like, you know, you just get to see how God can use you and try things and serve him. And then that develops the willingness to lead and the, the lack of fear of leading. It's just sort of a, a normal thing at that point. So may our young ones grow up to take things over. Can't wait. Can't wait to see that continue to happen. I'd like to say a prayer. Would you please pray with me? Father God, thank you for beginnings. Thank you for beginnings. Thank you for beginnings. Thank you for beginnings. Thank you for how you start things. You like starting stuff with us. You like beginnings. You're God of creation. You're the creator. Thank you for creating new things all the time and never being done. I give you glory that you're never going to be done creating things. Never, ever. Ah, it's so hopeful. It's so encouraging, Father. Pray that this morning and in the season you'd invite us into co-creating with you, that we'd get to join that process. So I pray that this sermon would be part of that, for your glory and uh, for your good name. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. I'm excited this morning because I love creativity and this sermon, this, this discussion, this conversation that I hope will be not just a monologue, but a conversation um, is about what God's creative process is like. God has a creative process. And my wife paints a little bit, maybe more than a little bit. Maybe it's a problem. Maybe it's an addiction. I'm not saying, but just sometimes she's painting. And... Um, She'll, she'll make like a little clip on her phone, right, of how something gets painted. And it's so fascinating to watch something go from a blank piece of paper to this piece of art, because I could never have created that end result. And yet you watch the process, or if you ask her, how did you get that inspiration? It's fascinating for those of us who are not inside the mind of that one particular artist to know how that works. In the music team, we have conversations like this all the time. Talk to Hope, what's your process for making music? You end up with a beautiful song, but like you didn't start that way. When I start with music, for me, chords will speak to me. I was trained as a, a note player, not a, a, a word singer, right? And so I've learned singing along the way, but so I think of notes and that inspires a thought and the, the thought turns into a lyric and you put them together for her, she's a word person. So the word's there, how can the music match it? And then, but you end up with something beautiful. It's fascinating, all of our like, 
reality TV shows around like baking and fashion, they're all around this concept. How does a person get something beautiful at the end? And what's that creative process? And it's so different for each person. God has one of these two. I'm convinced of it. We see it in Genesis, how he made everything. I think we see it in Christmas, how he made this salvation plan. I think it's how he still work with, works with us. It's how I've felt him working with me in my life and seen it. So I think there's not necessarily a blueprint, but there's a pattern. There's a way God goes about things. And if we can study that for just a minute or two and look at some scriptures and recognize that on this Christmas season... What I need us to embrace is the fact that when we get saved, we join him in that. We join him in his process. We don't become Christians and then come up with our own plans. That's not what being missional is. We talk about being on mission. It's finding God's plan and joining him in it. Henry Blackaby had that great book, Experiencing God, and his key point that everybody always quotes. Find out where God is working and go there and join him in what he's doing. Don't try to tell God what to do. Don't give him our plans. Get really good at listening and really good at recognizing where he's at. And then go there. It's going to be amazing. And so for us, that discernment process has said God is moving on Main Street Taunton. We're just going to go there. And we don't know how it's going to work out. But we do know it's going to work the way God wants it to. So we're trying to join his plan and not just make our own. And that's always a wrestling match. Like what part of it is our plan? What part of it is his plan? And if you keep it open-handed, then he shows you as you go. But he's got a process. He's got a creative process. So it reminded me of that quote by Maya Angelou. It says, you can't use up creativity. Has anyone ever heard this one before? You can't use up creativity. The more you use, the more you have. And that's true. Once you get inspired with something, maybe, Bob, you're building something, you get an idea, and then it leads to like the next idea, and the next thing, you're, you're going, right? Steve, with the garden, you start with like a plan, you start something and serve home. It inspires more ideas, and then you get 10 steps in, and the 11th step becomes obvious, but you couldn't have thought about step 11 until you got there the right way, the process, a creative process. Um, music is that way. You don't just write one song and then be like, well, I think I'll be done. It excites you, and then you want to write more, right? You're like, well, I did that, so check it off the bucket list. I want to do something else. Like, no, that was fun. Give me more of that. What if we think of God from this perspective? He's like, I made a universe. That was awesome. What's next? Right? That was cool. I want to keep going. I think God wants to keep going. I think Christmas is him keeping going. The creation process. He's not just starting and done. That concept of God is like an absentee God. What is, I wish, there's, a, there's a philosophical and theological term for it. Absentee watchmaker, maybe. If I can pull back my old seminary days, I can't remember it exactly right now. God's not that way. God's not that way. God's constantly creating. So then why is it that we as Christians think we get saved and then we're done? Why is it think that we as Christians in our marriages think we got married and then we're married? As if these like starting points are the end. It should be something happened to us with God. And we want more of that same thing. We want to get excited about what God's doing and see more of it. We point back to previous miracles. It shouldn't just be like, wow, that's cool. It should be like, can we get some more? You don't use up creation. The more you use, the more you have. You don't use up creativity. The more you use, the more you have. So that's the process that we're trying to embrace as a church, this experimental living with God, seeing him create more and more and more things. 
God's not done creating. He's not a bystander. And yet sometimes we worship an active God, but we become the bystanders. Like, oh, I'm waiting for God to really step in and fix this. I'm really hoping that God helps my children like, turn their lives towards him. I'm really praying for my neighbor that God, like, well, why are we the bystanders in that? If we've joined him, we're made in his image, we're supposed to act like him. We're his representatives, his hands and his feet, his people, him on earth, in the flesh. So we're supposed to be constantly creating, constantly building. So this Advent season, we've been talking about God being a God of abundance. He doesn't run out. So if we're with him, we're good. There's plenty of time for what he calls us to do. There are plenty of people for, to be in our lives to support us for the things that need to be done. There's plenty of money and resources for what God wants to get done. And this week is, God is a God of abundance of life. He's abundant life, abundant new life, abundant creating, abundant new beginnings, redos, mulligans, do-overs, starts, resets. That's our God. And they're not limitless, right? Eventually we meet our maker. So if we live our lives saying, oh, I get a redo, I get a redo. That's not where I'm going with this. I'm saying like make the most of it because God can do something new again. And I think we just need Every day to be, okay, what is going to be the new beautiful thing that God and I can co-create? And what's our process for going about that from the time we wake up to the time we go to sleep? Why can't every day have a miracle? Why can't every day be God creating something new? We feel stuck. Stuck is not creation. Stuck is like the opposite. We feel like our lives are monotonous. That's the opposite of new beginnings. Same old. Stuck. And those are such discouraging feelings, aren't they? Whenever I feel that way, I'm sure when you feel that way, you feel like badly. You feel badly about yourself, but badly about your circumstances. It's demotivating. It makes you feel like, well, I don't know what to do. That stuck is the opposite of a God that makes a universe and says it's good. Opposite of a God who comes in human form. Opposite of a God who meets us every day. Opposite of a God who puts Jose-type people into our lives. Who puts New Hope Christian Chapel places in our lives. That's a God of new beginnings. Constant new beginnings. And I want us to really embrace that. I want to look at God's creative process. And so we're going to look at it in three places. With the creation in the first, Genesis 1, just the first few verses. And we're going to look at it with the incarnation, John chapter 1, first couple of verses. And then in 2 Corinthians 4, where uh, Paul is talking about God's process with us. And really what I'm looking for is for us to be owners and initiators in our lives the same way God is instead of bystanders, or at the worst case, victims of our lives. We're not victims of our lives any more than God is a victim of his creation that he's made. God is an initiator, and there's lots of things that go on within his permissive will that are not of him. They're the distortions, the shadows, the opposites, the sin. And there's lots of things in our lives that aren't going the way we want as well, and they're not even of us always. But that doesn't make us helpless to them any more than it makes God helpless to the world. He initiates. He said, okay, if this is the crappy mess you're going to make of this planet that I made good, all right, well, I'm going to step in in this way. I'm going to give you the law. I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you my son. I'm going to give you my spirit. What if we owned our lives in that way, co-creating with God every day? It's a powerful way to live. It's a different way to live. It's not going to church. I'm not talking about going to church here. I'm talking about being like God as creators in this world, building his kingdom. We use these phrases, but do you ever think about like what they actually mean for us? We're workers, we're laborers, not on our own stuff, on God's stuff. 
be new again and again and again and again and again. And God makes it new and it's beautiful and it's good. And so we start there. Genesis 1, just the first five verses. I won't read the whole creation account. Um, we've read it many times. and It's funny, certain passages, whether it's this creation account or others, you could almost preach every sermon using them because they're so central to what we believe that um, they fit everywhere. And this is one of those. So here we are again trying to learn how to be like God, be creatives, have a creative process spiritually. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created all the heavens and the earth. This is, this is a summary statement. It's a universe. God created the universe. Now, planet Earth was without form and void. It was formless and empty. No shape, no definition, had no purpose, had no meaning, had no direction, had no design. Well, those are all the words we find ourselves in. We're in those like stuck places, right? I got no meaning, I got no purpose. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. My life has no direction. Like, that's what the creation was before it was a creation in the beginning. And God loves that. Blank slate, blank canvas. The artist is about to get ready to go to work. It's fine. It's fine that a canvas is blank. That's not a bad thing. It's just a statement, empty. When our lives are empty, though, it doesn't feel fine. We can look at a God who creates from nothing and say, in our places of nothing, God can build something beautiful. All right, so without form and void, it was formless and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. Darkness, this is key. It's the not knowing, it's the unknown, it's lack of clarity, it's the blackout, it's just unknowable. Now the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, just like an artist's pen hovering over a paper, ready to go. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw, really he said, he declares, but he saw that the light was good. And now God separates the light from the darkness. He carves out a place where we can see. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. God's first step in his creative process is to shed light on things. Sometimes this is uncomfortable because he sheds light on us in the areas in our life that aren't the way they're supposed to be, and it feels shameful or awkward or uncomfortable, and that's okay because it's just honesty. We always say that we like friends that people just be honest with us, and then when someone's honest with us, we say, that jerk, and we run the other way, and we never talk to them again. We don't like the light. We don't want to be confronted with our sin, but it's the best place to start. If someone comes to you and says, your life looks kind of formless and void right now. You're lacking meaning, direction, purpose, design, and life. Could that be the best thing that anyone has ever said to you? To begin with a reality check? That's all God does. He doesn't even declare the darkness bad. He just separates it and says, here, we're going to shine light in this area. I want that. I hope that you are open to that and want that as well. To have those people that are close to you. Or sometimes you sit in a sermon and even me, without even meaning to, I say something kind of like, oh, it hits home. And then afterwards you say, someone will come to me and say, that, that point really hit. And I'm like, oh, I never thought about how that point would hit with your circumstance. I was just speaking as the Spirit led me. But I see, yeah. That was a flashlight. It was like a high beam right into your situation. Okay. 
But if we had a God that was all law and shame and guilt, it would stop there. Shine the light on the problem. You're bad. It's bad. It's formless. It's void. It's meaningless. God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. And what we see over day two, three, four, five, and six is from this clarity, from this light, first he builds all the places. He sets up the structures. Did you ever notice in it there's a pattern of God creating places and then filling them with life? Days two, three, four, five, six, go. I'm going to make water and air and then land. And then God says, I'm going to make birds, fish, animals and men. He creates places for us and then fills them with people. And when he puts animals, he says, be fruitful, be alive, fill the places that I've given you. I've set aside a place. I've filled it with light. You can see, live in this place. Animals, man, have dominion over, live the life that you're meant to live in this place that I've given you to live. So God's process, his creative process is to shed light, to create space, to create a design, and then to fill it with life, to fill it with meaning, to fill it with purpose. All animals knew what they were supposed to do. Adam and Eve, even though they rejected that, knew exactly what they were called to do. They had a purpose. It was because they wanted to redefine their purpose. That God was like, no, now you're choosing your own way instead of my way. In my mind, that's such a, a simple one-to-one -one relationship with how I look at my time in my life. I look ahead at a day. I look ahead at a week. I look ahead at a year. And I'm like, what is this going to look like? What shape will this have? And so in the shape of a week, there are things like worship on a Sunday morning that I get to look forward to. Or maybe things like a Thursday evening worshiping. And like I said, Dev and I were going to do music this week and health prevented him from being here this morning. But we got Thursday worship together. So in the shape of my week, it was Dev and Dave's like worship night. We didn't realize it. We thought it was preparation, but that was actually our worship time together. And then we had family plans last night and everybody got sick. So those didn't happen. So there was a shape. There was some design set apart to be filled with the life of friendship, to be filled with worship, to be filled with community, to be filled with meaning and with purpose. Do you and do I live our lives this way? All right, God, here's what you've given me to work with. This is the shape that I think it's going to take. How can we live into that? How can we fill that with life? It's a plan. God has a plan. But he doesn't just give us the plan and step back. He says, live. Live life to the abundant. Live life to the fullest. This is why he's given us Life. So if this is the creative process where God says, all right, first he shines light on something, then he gives it shape, and then he gives it meaning. Flip over to John chapter 1. Let's read the first couple of verses of that and um, see how this exactly applies to what he did with Christ in the incarnation, how he became flesh. What we have is we have a world in darkness, right? All our Christmas carols. The world in darkness lay. And then we have this light, the light of the world coming into the world. Jesus wasn't so much beginning something, even though he was. He was kind of inaugurating the new covenant. He was illuminating. He was bringing light. Jesus is the light of the world. So where Jesus stepped into situations, sometimes that light was very affirming and encouraging, and it was very um, uplifting, and it was very, you're on the right track. But a lot of times that was to like the poor and the oppressed. It was, okay, the light is showing that you are actually beautiful where you thought things were 
horrible. Uh, people are treating you awfully, but God loves you. You know, the good news of the gospel. So sometimes Jesus' light brings that. It brings this kind of like warm blanket, this God loves you and it's going to be okay feeling. And that's true. But sometimes Jesus' light comes in the form of you hypocrites, you snakes, <laughs> you dogs, you worthless people who lie and trick, who abuse God's religion and change his rituals for your own purposes, you greedy, you, you know, that's just light also. It's just reality check. So this light comes into the world. God sets up this design for his life that would only be 30, 35 years in length. And during that time, there would be miracles and there would be a crucifixion and a resurrection. And Jesus filled that space with his life. It's God's creative process. So chapter 1, let's read it together in John chapter 1 on this Christmas Sunday. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. The Logos is with God. And the Logos was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So Jesus was with God in the beginning, in the darkness, when everything is shapeless and void, formless and void, and darkness is everywhere. And God's light, Jesus is a co-creator with him of all creation, but now this Jesus, this Logos, becomes man. He is life. He is light. And he's coming into the darkness to separate light from dark, day from night, God from sin. Now there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. So that's kind of like our role, right? We're not the light, but we come to bear witness about the light. We're like talking about the light. We're trying to shine the light, let the light bounce off us a little bit and reflect just a little bit of the light around the world. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. So he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, the Jewish people, his heritage, but his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, some of the Jewish heritage and some of the Gentile, all who did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, so of heritage, nor of the will of flesh or of the will of man, not of your parents, but born of God, born again, born of your spirit. So this word became flesh, put a body on, became a baby in a manger, and he lived, he dwelt, literally tabernacled, like a temporary tent. He set up his tent among us. And so we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. It's full of grace and truth. That's the light that Jesus shines. John the Baptist bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me in the creation. This is God. And from his, Jesus' fullness, from his filling of his spaces, think how richly Jesus filled the space that God gave him. Think of how richly Jesus filled the space that God gave him here on earth. How richly he filled that home with Mary and Joseph. How richly he filled the space in conversation with his disciples. He was fully there. He was the initiator. Jesus was creating. His creative process was on like full speed ahead in the time he had with people. 
He didn't waste the places that he was given. He didn't waste the relationship that he was given. He didn't wait for just the miracle to happen, the walking on the water. He was constantly creating. And then he'd go and step back, he'd rest. We get that in creation too, right? God initiating rest, initiating the cycle of worship and work. Beautiful. Jesus evidenced all those things. But he fully filled the places God sent him. That's God's creative process like no one has ever lived out since, but which we all can approximate. We're called to that too, to fill our spaces with life. All right, um, from his fullness, verse 16, from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. You can almost keep going. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. That's Jesus. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, Jesus. He has made him known. We get to know God because of Jesus. It would not happen otherwise. We'll stop there. We see the creative process. The light comes into the world. God creates a space for it, and he fills it with life. A lot of times we don't have clarity about what we're supposed to be doing, and so our creative process is kind of like, I don't know, painting with a blindfold. Maybe something came out. Maybe it didn't. Or trying to write a letter with your left hand if you're right-handed. I mean, my right-hand penmanship might not be much better than my left-hand penmanship, but some of you much do, probably do much better than I. Is that how we want to live our lives? Is that what we've been called to by Christ? To paint blindly? It doesn't seem like what Christ's life was. He feels like a, a masterpiece, a living masterpiece. And we're called to join him in that. And that to me is so encouraging, this concept of God being still creating again and again and again and joining us in that process, inviting us to be co-creators with him, means that every day can be building masterpiece, not just stuck. Not just meaningless, not just directionless. That's formless and void stuff. That's before God. It's before the beginning. That's before Christ. That's what it's like before we know him. But somehow it just kind of like the stuckness and the monotony of life sneaks into us. And I think it robs us of the fact that God still wants to be creating in your life. He has new things to teach you and to teach me. He has new faith that he wants to stretch in you and in me. He has new people that he wants you to include in your lives for his glory, to witness or to encourage or to support or to give a warm jacket to or to make a meal. There are new things there because God's not done with the people around you and he's not done with you and he's not done acting. He's not done creating. That to me is such a beautiful life. That's like an anticipation of a life that will look like Genesis 1 and John 1 for the rest of my life. What if we lived that way? Embracing, initiating in the world. And we can't do it alone. You know, God did it within the triunity of himself, um, the divine community. Jesus did it within the community of the disciples. God gives us our people to do this with. And it could be two, it could be 12, it could be New Hope, it could be your nuclear family, it could be a missional community, it could be a close group of friends. But what if we were initiators? Because it does seem like every time, even if we take like baby little steps of initiating, something beautiful happens. Tracy with her letter today is another one of those things. Like, let's try to do something to initiate God's love into the world this Christmas season. So, I don't know. All right, let's collect some things for the Purpose Locker Foundation. Right? We, we come into things with prayer, but it's almost like I don't know. And then it unlocks something that God wanted to do in someone else. And we say, oh, God, you're not done with... Carry on, and you're not done with us. But it takes the initiative before the fruit can come. Can't bear fruit until you plant the tree. 
And so there's this whole process. God's got a creative process, and we, we think we're bystanders to God's creative process. And I say, no. God has called you to be active participants in his creative process. So know how it works. Start with the light. Create a space and fill it with life. Fill it with love. That's, that's a life worth living. That's a beautiful thing. We fill with constantly new and growing and creative things. Let's turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is Paul now talking about our lives. And this is really the point I've been slowly making the entire time. But Paul clearly can say it a lot better than I can. So let's just let him talk for a little while. We're in 2 Corinthians 4. I'm going to read 6 through 18. Second Corinthians 4, 6. For the same God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God through the face of Jesus Christ. So there's the light to us. But we have this treasure, this glory, this heaven glory, in jars of clay. This describes our bodies, our people, ourselves. We have this treasure in jars of clay, very humble, earthen jars, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This is like John the Baptist. I'm just bearing witness to the light. It's not my light. This power is from God. We stay humble. So we are afflicted in every way. Lots of stuff happens to us, but we're not crushed. Because guess what? God will have a new beginning for you and for me after we're afflicted. There's the next day. There's the next season. We're not ending at affliction. We are not crushed. We're perplexed, like confused beyond all hope of figuring something out. But we're not driven to despair. Why? Because there's a new beginning ahead. There will be another day. There'll be another season. God can create something new. This is beyond confusing. Okay, fine. But God... Give us light. Give shape and purpose to this. Give some sort of design. Give us a direction. The creative process keeps us from being thrown into despair. We're persecuted. We have stuff that happens to us unfairly. But we're not left alone in that. We're not forsaken because God has new beginnings ahead for us. This is not the end. Persecution is not the end. We are struck down. We get knocked over. We fall. We fall flat sometimes. But we're not destroyed because being struck down is not the end because God is not done creating. So he can create a new reserve of strength. He can give us new healing the next day. He can give us new life, new hope the next day because even if we're formless and void in this moment and full of darkness, all God has to do is kick in his creative process, shine a little bit of light, even the tiniest bit of light, give a little bit of shape to where we're at, and then fill it with life and meaning. And all of a sudden, poof, we're straight back up again. We're back on our feet. It's a new season with the Lord because he's not just a bystander. And neither are we. We're not supposed to be bystanders in our lives. We're builders. Verse 10 says, We're always carrying around in our body the death of Jesus. Kind of like we're beat up, but so is he. We identify with that lifestyle. We take it. Because of hope in him. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. <laughs> it's like, you may knock us down, but you can't keep us down. Because we're Jesus' people. You saw how people knocked him down, you couldn't keep him down. So yeah, I may have lots of things coming at me, but they're not going to win. Because they didn't beat Jesus, and I'm with him. 
And if I'm following him and walking in God's glory, then it's not going to be the end for me either because God's not done creating. There are new beginnings ahead. There's a new start. There's a reset. There's a mulligan. There's a redo. There's a do-over. There's a second chance until the day that God takes us home. Our life is filled with those every day, even moments within a day, within a conversation. You say the wrong thing. Is that the end of the conversation? Is that the, the parting of ways of friends? It might have to be the death of your ego in that moment, but it doesn't even have to be the death of that conversation. God can have a new word, a new thought, a new apology, a new humility that brings that conversation, that relationship back to life. Because God's not done creating. Even when we screw it up and it turns out to be shapeless and formless and void, is well, let there be light. Here's a space for you to work with. Let me fill that with life. And all of a sudden, feelings come back. All of a sudden, reconciliation is restored. All sorts of beautiful things happen at every level of our lives because it's God's creative process. He's not helpless or hopeless, and we're not helpless or hopeless. That's what Christmas is to me. That's what my God is to me. Verse 11, we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in you, those who watch us get knocked down and get back up again in God's creative process. 13, so since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. So we believe and so we say it. You say this. I say this. Speak these words. We believe there is hope when someone says there is no hope for their health, for their finances, for their relationship, for their faith, for God, for this country, for politics. We say, no, I do not believe that. I have seen it in my own life, and so therefore I speak. God's creative process, God is not done being making everything. So even this entire country just completely falls apart. Okay, formless and void and darkness. Great, blank slate, empty canvas. Let's see what God can do. God is not ever going to be done, and so therefore we can always have hope. And so we say it. Verse 14, we know that he who raised Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and bring us with his whole family, with you, who he's writing to, into God's presence. And it's all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, right? Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace extends. They may increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away due to COVID. I'm, oh, sorry, that was the insert there. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed. It's a new beginning. All right, these bodies are falling apart. Same old story. They always fall apart. But our hope is different, and it's growing. It's building day by day. Verse 17, this slight momentary affliction, life, a slight momentary affliction, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all compare. As we look not at just things that we can see, but look to the things that are unseen, the things inside and the things to come. Things that are unseen, spiritual things, the future, hope, faith, Christ. For the things that are seen are transient. They just go. But the things that are unseen are eternal. So we're in the creative process. It's God's light, our shape, our life to be filled. And... I just think that we're supposed to be more like God in this way than we are. And I would love to take inspiration from this past year of God having shined light on a location for us to move, created a space and a place and people, and then pushed us into it and said, live in there, 
and us see things come to life in there, I would love for this next coming year for us to adopt that same exact mentality for us as individuals. I hope you know we're not planning on picking a different building and moving again next year. This is the lesson to be learned from this one move, Lord willing, for a long, long time. So is God done then? Whew, got the building. We'll be in it in 2023. Creation is completed. No, I bet if we did that, he'd close it down. I bet if we treated it that way, what he gave us to build in and constantly keep creating in, a creative space to keep bringing to life, I bet he'd close it down. Whether that's financially or with a fire or with all of us getting COVID for two years straight or I don't know, let's do whatever he wants. Because he gives us things to join him in his process, which means he loves Taunton and he loves Main Street and he loves Jose and he loves us. And so he's like, okay, here's a space I'm giving you to work with and there's going to be lots of life in that. But if we don't have a building to be like, Focusing on, are we going to lose our purpose? Are we going to lose our direction? Say there's no more weekly work projects. Greg, i got no more framing for you to do. What are you going to do with yourself? Work longer hours? Nothing to just sit there and look at the wall now? We can't build it anymore? Just admire it for the next couple of years? No, it's the next thing. God's going to create something on the thing that he created. He's going to build on what he's built. But I would really like to challenge you to think that he wants you to build as a person in this upcoming year the same way that we've been building in a location in 2022. And that's going to require your own initiative and no one else can do that for you. And the first step is just to have a little light shined in your life and say, if, if we don't take initiative to co-create with God in our lives, nothing... <laughs> Is going to happen. He is just, we're going to be sitting there waiting for him to do something that he's waiting for us to join him in doing. The people that we're going to witness to. The people who will be saved and baptized down at 49 Main Street. I can't wait. Uh, where are they going to come from? I know. Let's do a really expensive marketing campaign. <laughs> that way we don't actually have to, have to talk to anybody. That'll be better. That'll be easier. We'll spend lots of money on Facebook and on billboards so we don't have to actually share our faith. That'll be good, right? Should we do that? No. We probably already know the people that are going to be saved next year. Get initiating, folks. Be a creator, a co-creator with God of the faith in their lives. Talk with them. Shed some light. We need to have just as much personal building and growth and creating next year as we've had physical <laughs> building and creating this year. And that's what I take from this. God's creative process. Uh, I want to see him involved in my life building new things. I don't want to be the same husband next year that I was this year. I want to build to new heights. I don't want to be the same pastor next year that I was this year. I want to build something on what's been. Otherwise, I'm just in maintenance mode. I'm not actually living by faith because I'm just doing what I've done. It doesn't take faith to repeat something. It's on your shampoo bottle. It doesn't take faith to use that. Just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Do it again, same old thing. If you want to live by faith, if you want to see something new, it's going to take us stepping out in faith and following God to where he leads us. So it, it, there's a challenge involved in this, not just an encouragement. I want you to know God better. I want to know that he's a creative God and that he's never done. But if you've joined him, then that's your challenge. That's your calling. That's your command. That's mine. 
Join him in the kingdom building process as a person and with people around you, not just with buildings. So we've had a great lesson in that this year, a case study. But we're called to build on that foundation this upcoming year with his kingdom, not with a property. I'm going to close this in prayer. Um, hope if you could come forward. We're going to move towards a time of celebrating the Lord's Supper, the creative process of God at work. And uh, I'd just like to pray for us now. Jesus, I pray that you would <clears throat> inspire us to not just marvel at you, but to be like you. Help everyone here to be like you, to act like you, to do what you do because you are within us and you have gone before us. You are the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. You're the word at the beginning. You're with the Father now interceding on our behalf and you'll return. Please find us faithful stewards of these lives, these spaces, even if it's a dark world, Jesus. Help us to be pinpoints of light in it and to separate the light from darkness and to walk in the light and to carve out space that's well lit and beautiful and to live, just to be so alive in those places and to invite others in. Father God, I pray that you'd constantly be reorienting us towards your light, towards your truth. May we know you truly. May we speak your truth. May we willingly submit to it and, and humble ourselves under your truth. All for your glory. As we head into communion, Father, pray that you would forgive us for any sins in our lives of procrastination when it comes to you. Pray you specifically forgive us for any sins of monotony and just being in the Christian doldrums. That's not from you, Father. That was of us, or that happened to us. And we pray that you would set us free from that, shine light, create space, and fill it with purpose. Pray that you'd forgive us for any avoidance, places that you have set aside for us and we just weren't ready to go or were afraid of. Please give us hope. Allow us not to be filled with the fears of this world. There is much to be afraid of, but not with you. So I pray in these specific areas as we celebrate your creative act, bringing your son into the world, but also your creative act of bringing life back into your son, resurrection, new beginnings. I pray that you would restore all those places in us that have gotten shapeless and meaningless, formless and void, lacking direction, lacking design or purpose or meaning. We give them over to you as our death. Pray that you'd forgive us from those things and, and resurrect us from those things. That the end of this year would not just be contented uh, reflection, but that it would be the beginning of something beautiful, a resurrection into a new year. And We thank you that your birth as a baby confirms this and that Easter resurrection um, seals the deal. Thank you for this time in your word, Father. And as we come to your table, please uh, bless us and minister to us as we celebrate you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.